and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. And I want to say hello especially to our listeners on Spotify as well as Anchor FM. Um, I uh, like the fact that many of you tune in uh, every day to Sunshine USA to get some additional instruction from the Word of God. And that, of course, is what uh, Sunshine USA is all about. I'm Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA, so I hope that uh, you will enjoy uh, today's broadcast. Um, I enjoy communicating with our listeners. Uh, as you know, uh, I love it when you send me emails or you write me letters or maybe I get a phone call from you and <laughs> you have questions. I got a couple of questions I'm going to tackle today. Uh, before we get started in today's Bible study. Uh, one question, someone wants to know, where did I go to school in terms of my ministerial preparation? Well, uh, I studied at William Carey College, which is now William Carey University. I was a student there back in the 1970s. And uh, then in terms of seminary, I studied over at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. That was in the 1980s. Uh, that's where I got uh, the bulk of my uh, um, theological training. And, uh, you know, I thank the Lord for the professors that I had that uh, helped me to learn everything that I know about the Bible <laughs> I have to admit, you know, when I first went to college at seminary, my position was uh, there wasn't really a lot for me to learn. Uh, I'd been going to church all my life, and I'd been going to Sunday school all my life, and so I sort of took the attitude, you know, there's just not a whole lot for me to learn here. But I uh, began to realize after I'd been in class for a while that uh, there was a whole lot I didn't know. <laughs> and some of the things I knew, uh, I really didn't know why I believed them other than the fact that's what I'd always been taught. And so for me, college and seminary was a time for learning. It was a time for growing. And I thank the Lord for the different professors that I had that poured what they had into me, or at least they tried to. <laughs> And uh, it was a great experience for the most part. And, and, you know, one thing about college and seminary, number one, it taught me to live by faith because I don't need to tell you that it's pretty expensive to go to college and seminary. It's not cheap. <laughs> and uh, you have to have faith in God. That God is going to supply what you need to go to school. And, uh, and in reality, I really wasn't the best candidate for school because uh, I just barely graduated from high school. You might say I graduated from high school by the skin of my teeth, <laughs> just barely. And uh, so many people argued that I probably wasn't college material. In fact, I had a counselor in high school who felt like it would be a waste of time for me to even try to go to college. Uh, they told me that um, you know, no college would accept you, so you shouldn't even apply. Well, I applied to go to college anyway, and guess what? I got accepted by, I think, at least three different schools, or I think uh, four different schools, actually. And I went to three of them 
two of them in particular. And so I proved that wrong. Now, granted, I have to admit, when I was in college and seminary, because of some academic disabilities that I have, I didn't make the best grades, but I went, and I do think I learned something in the process. And the other thing I learned going to college and seminary is that I can learn even from professors that I didn't always agree with. I think back now on some of the things my professors taught me, and I agreed probably with uh, the vast majority of what they taught me. There were some things that I disagreed on with them then and still would, but uh, that didn't stop me from learning from them. And so we can a lot of times learn from Bible teachers and preachers that we don't necessarily agree with. Uh, but thank the Lord that we have some who feel that call from God to go into theological education and pour what they have into the lives of other students. And so I thank God for that. And so that's uh, one of the questions. Here's somebody else wanting to know uh, what church I go to. I go to the San Susi Church here in Greenville, uh, South Carolina. Lenny Miller is my pastor. Great man of God. I thank the world for him. And, uh, and I thank the world of him. Uh, great man of God. Great pastor. And, uh, you know, one thing about going to a small church, and I will admit San Susie Church is a small church, but the great thing about that is it gives you an opportunity uh, to get to know some of the members, and it gives you an opportunity to get to know uh, a lot of the people. And, uh, and sometimes that's something you miss out on when you go to a bigger church, you know. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, nowadays I'm more of a small church person than I am a megachurch person. You know, you go to a megachurch and a lot of times you feel like a number. But uh, you go to a small church and you feel like you're truly a part of the family. Now, of course, I will say this, if you go to a megachurch, if the megachurch is managed right, then the bottom line is you can still fit in because you have a lot of programs set up that allow you to get to know more and more people as time goes by. And uh, I think that's always a good thing. Well, that's just a couple of questions I thought I would take the time to answer before we get started with uh, today's Bible study. Now today, we're going to be talking about Jesus leaving Nazareth and going to Capernaum in an area known as Galilee. <laughs> and we find this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. That's Matthew chapter 4. Verses 13 through 17. Now, by way of review, we talked yesterday about how Jesus basically was run out of town in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was his hometown. We know that in Nazareth, he worked as a carpenter from at least the age of 13 all the way to age 30. He worked as a carpenter. Now, some people wonder why this was. Well, I think one thing might be that Jesus, being a Jewish male, 
would have had the responsibility of taking care of his mother. It's very interesting uh, when Jesus uh, makes his appearance at the temple at age 13 or 12 or 13, we find Mary and Joseph uh, lose him, so to speak, at the temple. And they have to go back and get him. Well, after that incident, we don't read about Joseph anymore. So apparently, uh, Jesus was still a young teenager when, when Joseph died. And as a Jewish male, it would have been his responsibility to financially and materially take care of his mother. And so I'm sure that working as a carpenter from age 13 to 17, or I should say age 13 to about age 30, uh, he earned enough money as a carpenter to take care of his mother, probably for the rest of her life. I'm sure he made a good living. I'm, I'm sure that he charged uh, fair and competitive prices and when people bought products from Jesus, I'm sure they were the highest quality. Amen? Amen. Um, and, and, you know, this was probably a good experience for him, too, because it gave Jesus a chance to meet with people from all walks of life. And that's why sometimes I think a preacher <clears throat> who um, has a background in secular work prior to going into the ministry, sometimes they make some of the best preachers. Uh, I think about my home church pastor, Dan Greer. It was under his ministry at Washington Avenue Baptist Church here in Greenville, South Carolina, that I got saved. And it was also under his ministry that I answered the call of God on my life to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now, Dan Greer, before he was a pastor, he was a textile overseer. In other words, he uh, had management responsibilities at a huge textile plant. And he also had uh, experience working as a butcher in the grocery store. And so he had a lot of secular work experience prior to going into the ministry. And I think, in reality, it made him a better pastor. It made him a better preacher. Because he came in contact with people from all walks of life. And um, he got to see what they face every day in everyday life. He got to know what some of their needs and wants were. And all of this made him a better preacher. He also learned a lot about business and management, and that made him a better administrator as far as being a pastor is concerned. So he really had, I would say, uh, a lot of advantages doing secular work prior to going into the ministry. But when it came time for his earthly ministry to start, at around the age of 30, we find the folks in Nazareth were not very receptive of his ministry. And as we talked about yesterday, the people in Nazareth, man, I tell you, they got mad. <laughs> when they heard him teach and preach, they got mad. 
If they had TV cameras back in those days, if they had live streaming services back in those days, and the camera focused on some of the members in the synagogue there, you would have seen a lot of anger in a lot of faces. You might have seen fists rolled up. They were angry. <laughs> they didn't like one bit what they were hearing. They didn't agree with it. And they got so mad, they run Jesus out of town. Now, Nazareth, we talked about yesterday, was like a town built on a cliff. And they were ready to literally toss him off that cliff. But he left on his own. And he knew there was really no way he could go back. And that's where Jesus makes that famous statement. A prophet's not received him in his own town. And that was certainly true of Jesus. Now I found in my own experience uh, that is true to a large degree. Uh, I'm thinking about a lot of men who have grown up, answered God's call to the ministry, but they served the Lord in an area far removed from where they grew up. I remember one of the young men that I went to William Carey with, he went into Christian radio. Now, he started in his hometown of Meridian, Mississippi. But he ended up at Christian radio stations in Greenville, South Carolina and Springfield, Missouri. So he ended up serving the Lord in areas far removed from where he grew up. A lot of times it works out that way. Uh, I'm thinking about a yet another young man that I went to college with. One of the churches that he served the longest was a church in Georgia. He grew up in Florida. After going to school in places like Louisiana and Mississippi and South Carolina. So sometimes a prophet the Bible tells us, is not received in his hometown. And Jesus left. Now, another point we made yesterday, I believe, is the fact Jesus didn't waste his time trying to do ministry in a town that obviously wasn't interested in hearing him. The folks in Nazareth made it very clear. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't care about anything he had to say. And so he left Nazareth. And we find that the day he ends up in Capernaum, in the area known as Galilee. And let's take a look now at Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 17. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people sat in darkness and saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So I want you to notice he goes into this area of Galilee known as Capernaum. And he is carrying the gospel to the people of Capernaum, the Gentile area. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, these were people that sat in darkness, and now they have seen a great light. Now, as we know in the Old Testament, the message of God was almost exclusively reserved for those who were Jewish. Now, there are some exceptions. For example, we know that Nineveh was a city that Jonah was called to go and preach to. And when he finally did, the people of Nineveh repented. And God held back his judgment. Now, Nineveh, we have to point out, was a Gentile city. And so there was at least one effort there by God to reach those who were not Jews. And even in the New Testament, we find that a good part of Jesus' ministry was still directed toward the Jews. But now, increasingly, Gentiles would be getting in on it. And so Jesus is sent to Capernaum. And it says here in verse 13, um, it says, Jesus leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum. In other words, he didn't just go to Capernaum, he dwelt there. In other words, he lived there, took up residence there for a period of time. And we note that here his ministry, his message was far better received. And he talks about, and the scriptures talk about the fact this is all a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now remember, every aspect, every aspect of the life of Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. Just about everything Jesus said and did, it was all forecast in the Old Testament and perfectly fulfilled, including the fact that Jesus would come to Capernaum to this area in, in, in an area known as Galilee. It was all a fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus preached the gospel of repentance. Now we have to be very careful at this point by pointing out we're not saved by repentance. Repentance is something that comes as a product of getting saved and coming to know Christ as Savior. In other words, a person who is truly saved and they have Jesus Christ coming into their heart, taking up residence in their heart, they will have a desire to repent and turn from their old sinful way of life. In other words, we start living a godly life not in order to be saved, but rather because we are saved. And this is all part of the message that Jesus preached. Now, his message, in one sense of the word, was a little bit different from what you and I would preach today. Bearing in mind at this point, Jesus had not yet died on the cross, and he had not yet risen from the grave. 
And that's why we have more of an emphasis here on repentance as opposed to the resurrection, which was yet to happen in the future at this particular point. But I would say even today, even though we now know about the death that he died on Calvary's cross and the resurrection three days later, still I would say repentance is an important part of the picture. Once again, Repentance does not save us, but it is probably the best evidence that we are saved, just like water baptism. Now, I believe, for example, water baptism is by immersion. I mean, after all, you're standing in that water, and it represents your old sinful life, and then the preacher lowers you into the water. This represents your old sinful life being buried, and then you come up out of the water. This represents your rising to walk in the newness of life. It's a beautiful example of what happens to us when we get saved. But baptism will not save you. I mean, you could be baptized so many times that you know every fish in the sea by their first name, and you could still be lost and go to hell. But, but, I do believe that when a person's saved, it should be followed by water baptism as soon as possible. Now, I can remember a day and time when people would get saved on Sunday morning. They would go down the aisle, they would pray and ask Jesus to come to their heart. And sometimes that Sunday morning, they were baptized. Sometimes they would get saved on Sunday morning and be baptized Sunday night. Nowadays, it's more common for people to be baptized anywhere from several days to several weeks after they're converted. And there might be many reasons for that. I mean, among other things, you know, as preachers, when we baptize someone, we want to make sure that they really understand what they're doing. We want to make sure they understand fully the decision that they're making. And so we might want them to wait a few days or a few weeks so that we have a chance to discuss with them what's about to take place in their life. But it was great, even in the old days, to see people saved and baptized all in the same service. (laughs) amen now sometimes people uh, back in the old days you know they would get saved and getting baptized was a sacrifice because they didn't get saved in the summertime they got saved in the wintertime and baby let me tell you it was cold outside (laughs) and sometimes they were baptized outdoors in those conditions In other cases, uh, churches decided that anybody who got saved in the wintertime would wait until spring or summer to be baptized when the water would not be so cold. Now, of course, in western North Carolina, it would have been almost as sacrificial to be baptized outdoors even in the summertime. If you've been swimming in the lakes or rivers of North Carolina, 
You know, the water in western North Carolina and the mountains can be cold even in the summertime. And that's before a lot of churches had indoor baptisteries. Now, of course, with the advent of the indoor baptistry, that changed a lot of things. You know, people could literally get saved and baptized all in the same service, and they could get baptized just as conveniently in the wintertime as the summertime. Amen. (laughs) But notice Jesus from that point on, he talked about repentance. In other words, as far as the message of Jesus was concerned, he kept the main thing the main thing. Now, you know, there were a lot of social problems in the days of Jesus. There were a lot of political issues in the days of Jesus. But we don't really read where Jesus spent a lot of time talking about that. His focus was on preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, I think that's a pretty good idea for preachers and churches today. Stick to the main thing, preaching the gospel. One thing that you'll notice about my ministry, if you follow my ministry closely at all, you'll notice I don't spend a lot of time talking about politics and social issues. I want my Bible teaching and gospel preaching to focus on the gospel, to focus on the message of the Bible. I don't waste my time talking about politics. Politics is not the answer. The Democrats are not the answer, but neither are the Republicans. The answer is Jesus. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Besides, any government on this earth, any government on this planet, it's temporary. I represent the kingdom of God, and that's eternal. It's up in heaven. That's where my focus is. The Bible says I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm just passing through. One of these days, I'm going to move into that heavenly mansion. Amen. Let me tell you something, folks. I can hardly wait. I move into my heavenly mansion and my new glorified body. And I tell you, the more I feel the aches and pains in this body I have right now, the more I'm thankful I don't have to keep this old body forever. One of these days, I get to trade it in on a brand new body. A body that will know no pain, no suffering, no handicaps, no disabilities. Amen. Praise the Lord. No government red tape. Praise the Lord. Amen. But until then... My message is going to be all about the gospel. It's going to be all about the Bible, not politics, not social issues. Now, like many of you, I have a Facebook account. But I don't waste my time on Facebook talking about what I had for supper or what I had for breakfast. Maybe once in a while, but not usually. The main thing I talk about on Facebook is Jesus. The main thing I talk about on Twitter is Jesus. The main thing I talk about on YouTube is Jesus. Amen. And I tell you, 
One of these days when you read Warren Landis aside, number one, don't believe that. Because on that day, I'll be more alive than ever before. And I'll be far healthier than ever before. But the other thing is, I want to make sure that I leave behind a legacy of preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible. When people think back on the life of Warren Landis, I want them to see someone who loves God, not necessarily someone who's perfect. Most people who know me personally, they know for a fact I'm not perfect. But I can tell you one thing. I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, and he is my Lord. And he is the one I live for. He is the message that I preach. He is the message that I teach. Amen. We note here that Jesus becomes the light in the darkness. And you know what? The Bible teaches us that we as Christians are to be the same way. We're to be a light that shineth in the darkness. I don't think it comes as a surprise to anybody that we live in a sin-darkened world. All you have to do is watch the news on television. And when you watch the news on television, you become aware of the fact we live in a sin-darkened world. But you know what? In spite of that, we could be a light that shines in the darkness. You could be a light that shines for Jesus in the neighborhood where you live. You could be a light for Jesus that shines brightly in the country where you live. You could be a light that shines brightly for Jesus in the city where you live. And so (laughs) I hope that uh, this message uh, reaches out to you. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I hope that you will take the time to share with others the message of this broadcast and how that they could tune in on the internet, because chances are, if you enjoy listening to this uh, podcast, there are other people out there who will enjoy listening to it as well. Well, until then, or at least until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.